to the choir master, according to do not destroy, a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to you, God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. Selah. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts in the the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. And just so you're tracking, verse 5, if we're singing a song, that's the chorus. You'll notice the chorus is sung again in verse 11. The exact same words repeated again. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. Verse 6. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will praise, I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be all over the earth. And Father, as we come to this psalm today, we are reminded. That when we are prevented from taking steps forward that seem logical to us, when the timing is delayed, when the place is all wrong, when we don't understand what you could possibly be doing, when we thought we heard clearly yesterday and today is so frustrating. We're here to learn from David, from your word, to take it to heart, to see what glory could there be for God in the nations, for my cul-de-sac, my dead end. And I pray that this would not be, as we pray every week, merely words. We are here to experience the person and presence of Jesus Christ ministered to us by your spirit in this place. For the overlooked heart to feel seen. For the tired heart to rest. For the broken heart to begin to heal. And for the exalted, joyful heart to sing loud in this place today. Do you help us? Because we need it. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we are in Psalm 57. It's a, a, a statement to us. We're in the midst of a kind of David's story. So you can tell from the inscription, we're picking it up here, that uh, Saul's in a, excuse me, that David's in a cave. So little backstory, if you could turn, you don't need to turn, but if you could jot down in the margin or just remember this, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 12 through 14, prior to this cave, David knows for sure that he's going to be the next king. He's already been anointed the next king, and in fact, in three verses in 1 Samuel 16, God clearly says, my spirit is on David, my spirit is not on Saul anymore, and Saul knows it. So Saul is doing everything in his power to prevent David from getting to the throne. He uh, has already tried to stick him twice with spears. He is working a plan against him. He's scheming. He's trying to turn the hearts of everyone against David. And now he's got the army in his employ and he is pursuing David in the wilderness. So that... David has, uh, Saul sees that David has success in all of his undertakings, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18, verse 14. Uh, David, uh, Saul is eyeing him, so whenever he has the opportunity, he's watching him, watching for slip-ups, planning in his head how he could take him out, literally, 1 Samuel 18, verse 9. Saul wants to kill him, and David knows it, according to 1 Samuel 18, 11, and 1 Samuel 19, 12. This is, a, this is a bad situation. So we come to this question, why would, why would we depict, why would we see this recorded, how hard and broken and difficult this is? If you'll recall, uh, Psalm 1 through 39 is all about how God has put David on the throne and, and established a uh, dynasty for David. And now in, this is book two, that's where we are now. There's almost a statement that's not to Israel right now, it's to the world. It's to all the world who is watching what's going on. They're watching the struggle, they're watching the, the, the trouble, they're watching the persecutions, they're watching the afflictions. They're like, what, what, what's going on? God supposedly said, David, we're hearing this, supposedly David's supposed to be on the throne, it's not happening. Well, if you look later, uh, we are now... In the midst, Psalm 54 through 60, seven consecutive psalms, which all make the statement of what is preventing David from going to God's appointed end for him. Psalm 57, the Ziphites, or excuse me, 54, we looked at that last week. Uh, his own brothers betray him. Psalm 56, a close, unnamed friend. You got that? A close, unnamed friend betrays him. Psalm 56, a Philistine. The Philistines in Gath. Psalm 57, here, Saul in a cave. Psalm 58, unjust rulers and judges oppose him. Psalm 59, Saul's servants literally sent in the streets of Jerusalem to David's house to kill David. He gets out because Saul's daughter, who's also David's wife, says, listen, I heard the plan. If you don't leave now, you're done for. Don't be here tomorrow. You can read that this week in your devotions in Psalm 59. And then Psalm 60, enemies from afar. So here's, here's the overarching theme of the Psalms here. 
God is glorified when he makes great, specific promises to his people. The whole world brings armies, money, uh, enemies, plans, schemes to get the, the train of God's mercy and grace off track and they will never be successful, even for a moment, in preventing God from accomplishing his will and his purposes. It's an evangelistic statement to the world. Come and look. God makes his promises and without weapon and without money, he keeps his promise while Saul's tactics are turned against him, in this case, in Psalm 57. God states a promise, and here's what, how the way Job would say it in Job 40. Here's what I've learned. No purpose of God's can ever be thwarted. He will always accomplish his will. Book two is telling this story to unbelievers. Get the word out. The devastation and the dictators, the traitors of the tanks, we will not turn to earthly methods or retaliation or revenge, says David. We do not hold grudges or grovel. We remain lovingly and humbly committed to this. You can do what you want to me. But know this, while the world is watching, he will powerfully, profoundly, and in an exultant way keep his promises and every eye will see it happen. In, 20, in 1000 BC and in 2022 today, his will is immutable, immutable and unchangeable. So come look. So Satan, with all of his schemes and his disruptions, uh, the, the, he tries to uh, come in and, and mess with the plans of the Almighty, and all of his plans add up to this. Like yesterday, you were at the grocery store, and you bought steak, and all of the plans of Satan are like dust on the scales at the grocery store. All of Satan's plans are like this morning when you were pouring milk for your breakfast, and a drop comes out of the bowl and lands on the counter, and you wipe it with a, with a dish towel because it's so insignificant. All of the plans of the evil one to stand against us is like a locomotive of God's grace is moving down the tracks and a, a snowflake hits the, the locomotive as he continues to do what he's going to do. God is strong and good. And Psalm 54 uh, through 60 is a statement to the world. God is good. And by the way, it's not just that he's strong and he's going to judge you. It's he's strong and he invites you. You're going to see that in this psalm. He invites you to come love him. He invites you to come and see. He invites you and me close to him because he cares for us. So Saul is now, now has David unknowingly cornered in a cave. Now, if we look at the inscription again, we see here, uh, 57, to the choir master, according to do not destroy. There's four psalms that are do not destroy psalms. We think that that's probably a tune they sang. They were all familiar with the, with the tune. It's a mictum. Mictum probably means inscription. It comes from a verb in the Hebrew that it, it looks like it's to, to inscribe. So it's possible that Saul took this psalm and inscribed it in a prominent place so everyone could read about it. It's a victim of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, in your notes there that you have printed out, you can see, could be 1 Samuel 22, the cave of Adullam. 
I think it's 1 Samuel 24, the cave at En Gedi. You remember this story, right? David's in the cave with like hundreds of his army and they're way back in the cave. Saul has been pursuing him and coming after him. And so far, all David's been doing is evasive action. Let's go here. Let's go there. Let's eat some bread from the, from the tabernacle. Let's avoid. Let's avoid. So here he is in the cave. David is in the cave, in the depths of the cave, it says. Well, Saul comes in. I'm allowed to say this because it says it in the Bible. He comes in to relieve himself. It's not a pretty picture for Sunday morning church, but it's the reality. So David, you'll remember, wherever Saul threw his robe, David takes a corner of the robe, cuts it off, and, and has it in his hand to prove that he was that close. He has some uh, buddies coming up to him and saying, look, you see what's happening here? You've been anointed the king. Certainly, as we've been doing nothing but peace, we've been doing nothing but kindness, we've been avoiding him in every way, and now God has brought the king right in the cave. Surely this is your opportunity to slit his throat and to end his opposition to you. And by the way, when you're in a cave, you don't know why, and you're not sure what the next thing to do is, I guarantee you're going to have an opportunity to turn to your own resources to fix the problem. Whether it's anger, whether it's even well-intentioned, whether it's money, whether it's muscle, whether it's giftedness, you're going to have the opportunity to say, I will fix this problem. The whole point of Psalm 57 is David saying, I have all of these resources at my disposal. I could do it easily in this moment. That's not what God wants me to do. I will wait on him. I will pray and wait to see the, the delivering hand of the mighty God. So, this psalm exists to help us see the certainty of God's promises, the beauty of his glory, and to trace his glorious promises straight through to Jesus Christ. Because once David is enthroned in Israel, we will eventually see 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14, God makes a promise that from David, he's going to bless all the nations and Jesus will come. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, will, will stand in our defense he will take our sin on him, though he knew no sin. He will be crushed and he will experience the, uh, the uh, wrath of God against your sin for you. And he will be raised the third day for forgiveness of sin. All of this we see. Saul has unknowingly cornered David in a cave and David will not take matters into his own hand. And so as we continue in Psalm 57, how does he do this? What does he teach us about, about this moment when we're trapped? And so the, the, uh, all of that introduction is meant to kind of uh, illuminate how we're going to think about the, the psalm today. And it's, it's this, as you look in your notes here, I'm not going to ask you to write this down because I already wrote it down for you. That when forward motion toward promised outcomes is threatened... By ongoing and seemingly successful opposition of God's enemies and mine, the faithful servant of the Lord, we're not going to go to the first point yet. Here's, I want to define two things real quick and then we're going to go. Number one is outcome. Be very careful when you define an outcome. 
David has an outcome that is specific from the Lord. It's a promise. You will be the next king. You're anointed king. It's going to happen. You don't have that. Some of the outcomes that we get committed to are self-promotion. It makes sense to us. We want it. And so we think, and we'll even say things like, well, no weapon formed against me will come to fruition. I will uh, accomplish this. But the reality is, God hasn't promised to give you a certain uh, promotion. God hasn't promised to uh, help you with that certain house. He'll take care of your housing. We're not sure what he's going to do about that house that you're looking at. It's not to say you shouldn't buy a house. My point is, sometimes we take this out of context and we say, when forward motion towards my outcome is threatened. And that's not what this says. And that's not what David would teach us today. Be very careful how you define successful outcome. God wants to form Jesus in your heart. God wants to uh, teach you his ways. God wants you to know him. God wants you on mission for him. Those are the outcomes that we have promises from God about. And I don't have promises from God about who he's going to heal and not. I don't have promises from God about how much and when. And you don't either. So be very careful You may want to circle that word outcome, and this week in your own personal time before the Lord, ask yourself, what outcomes are my outcomes, and what outcomes are from the Lord? The second word I want you to see there is this word opposition, because opposition is those that are opposed to God, and specifically in Psalm 57, there's no doubt Saul is opposed to David, and Saul is opposed to the Lord. You could experience opposition in your pursuit of whatever I'm praying about or you're praying about today that is not only not evil, it could be God himself. God may be opposing me. If my plans for me are for my name and pride, the, Lord, the scriptures say very clearly, the Lord opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. So what we can't do is take Psalm 57 and make it work for my self-promotion. We have to bring it back to the scriptures and what the scriptures teach us. All right? So when? Forward motion. And you guys could give us examples. I asked a friend to give me examples of things that are stoppers of forward motion. Here's some examples from friends this week. Unresolved conflict with a friend. And the Lord won't show me step C until I deal with step B or A. Unconfessed sin in my life. Man, forward motion for all of my life seems stopped. And when I stop to consider why it might be stopped, maybe it's me. Unanswered prayer. And we're just not sure what God is doing in it. We could go down and give example after example of how this forward motion. You just feel like you are stuck in a holding pattern. And you don't know what God could possibly be doing. And that's where David is today. All right, we've already talked about the mictum, the do not destroy. And so here we go. Here's what we learned from David. And we learned number one, learn to pray. See there in verse one? Be merciful. Be merciful to me, O Lord. We cry out to God for mercy. When we learn to pray, we are learning to talk to God. So here in Psalm 57, David is clearly addressing his lament and asking for help. He has a knife in his pocket he could use to end the threat, 
And he's putting that behind him saying, Lord, that's not what you want me to do and I know it. So I'm going to ask you, be merciful, be merciful. The words be merciful there are in the imperative. It's as if David is instructing the Lord what to do. You told me you'd help me, now help me. And he doesn't say it once. We're going to see in the psalm over and over and over again, he uses repetition to emphasize what he wants to emphasize. There's four uses of double words, back to back. And we're going to see those, those emphases as we go. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful. So help me out. Be gracious to me. Listen, David will not adopt the world's methods. He will not lift up his hand against the Lord's anointed. But here's what David knows. Based on past experience, when I stop and ask the Lord, he will help me. I know he'll help me. Friends, God coming close and answering prayer on your behalf, it will feed your faith and will be a statement to this entire generation of the strength and presence and power of the Lord of Lords and King of Kings. What we have to do is stop using our own methods to fix problems. We have to, we have to resist the urge to do it like I've always done it, to fall into the, the rhythm or the pattern of, of fixing problems with my avoidance or with my personality or with some gift. We have to put those resources behind us and come before the Lord and say, okay, on my face, before God, I'm going to talk to him. Be merciful. Be merciful. Be merciful, Lord. Be merciful. When I was parenting, me and Nikki were parenting teenagers and young adult. One of the things that we were learning was that we had to ask the Lord for help. One of the things we had to resist was fixing every problem by winning an argument. Parents, you're not always going to win the argument. And quite frankly, David, might, that might be one method he sometimes puts behind his back and says, you know what I'm going to do? Be, be merciful, be merciful, Lord. I'm coming to you for help and asking. It's not to say you shouldn't, you shouldn't talk sense into your kids, right? It's to say that there is, there is a profound use of prayer and the way we think and live our lives that we need to well, pull into. He is saying here in this passage, you are my only place of defense. Do you find that ironic? David goes into the cave for defense. And in the cave says, okay, at the end of the day as I look at this, you're actually my only defense, Lord. You're the only place I can turn. You're the only actual help. The heaviest, most potent storms of life teach us that the only location of safety is when we go into the presence of the Lord in prayer by faith. And sometimes that's the purpose of the storm. I can't tell you the purpose of all the storms, but I can tell you sometimes he's showing you that in all of your strength, with all of your effort, doing it the way you've always done it, you're not going to be able to solve this one. And how good and beautiful it is for us to say, be gracious to me, Lord. I need you. I need you. Well, how do we get there? 
How do we actually get to the point where we do this? And I would just really put forth to you that believing that God is who he says he is. David, in essence, is saying, well, I know that my eyes show me the king who has political power and legal right to kill me today. I know he's not going to be successful because rather than believing my eyes, I'm going to believe the reality that Nathan actually anointed me to be the next king over Israel, and somehow that's going to happen. Somehow that's going to happen. And so David chose to believe what God told him rather than what even his own eyes saw him. He believes that. He himself is our refuge. He's found that to be true. And then he goes and offers the words. He says the words out loud to him. Listen, the older we get, the more we learn that this is the safest place to come to the Lord without any other resources and ask him to intervene and be gracious to us. Trust the Lord's timing. That's the next thing. We cry out to him for mercy. We trust the Lord's timing. And that just means we keep on crying out to him as long as the storm rages. You see that in verse uh, 2? Excuse me, the end of verse 1. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. If you have your finger there and you geek out on stuff like this, like I do, I really like this. If you see the second line, for in you my soul takes refuge, that word takes refuge, that's as good as done. It's already done. And then uh, the next line, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. He perfect, perfect, purposely uses a different word to say there's going to be future trouble, not yet here. And I know when the future trouble comes, I'm going to take refuge and you're going to save me there too. I'm committed to you today. I'm committed to you tomorrow. I see that you've done it. I see that you'll do it. I see that you're faithful today. I know you'll be faithful tomorrow. I trust you, Lord. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. Here, here's how long. Till the storms of destruction pass by. Keep believing, keep trusting, keep asking. Listen, those who oppose God will experience great storms. And somehow, I don't know how God does this, but he does it now. He'll do it in the future. He did it for David. With the same storm, he both judges his enemies and protects his people. God is good and strong for us. So every storm to all the nations, every day, he's saying through those storms, come and see, come and see, I will protect you as well. And David is teaching that. And so trusting God's timing, we often are going through this undefined length of time. When will this be over? When will I be stronger? When will these days be over? And here's the encouragement. Humanly, not a big encouragement, is it? I don't know. It's good to know that no one knows. It's also good to know that you can hide yourself in the Lord until the storm of destruction passes by. Don't you have Psalm 23 in your ear? He brings us through the valley of the shadow of death, and he goes there with us. But when we go through a valley... It comes and goes. The storms, they will come and go. There will be a season of your life. David would say, there was a season of my life when, David, when Saul got tired and walked away. There was a season of my life when God put me on the throne. He accomplished his purposes. He, he fulfilled his promises. Those days are coming. Those days are coming. God answers prayer, right? 
So uh, we see that we can cry out to God for mercy. We can trust him in the timing, keep crying out to him. Uh, we, we desire, we learn to desire his purposes. This is what we got to before when we started talking about what is the outcome? Well, God's purposes are beautiful. We've already touched on them for David. He's gonna be on the throne, okay? You don't have a promise like that. So what does this mean? How do I pray effectively, passionately, and, and persistently? What do I pray about? I don't know if God will heal or not. I don't know if God will give me this job or not. I don't know if God will help me. What do I pray about? The answer is that which you have promises about. I jotted down three examples of things that you can pray about with complete passion and that God will bring these things about in your life. And here are the three are. Here's what you and I can pray about. John 17, 3 that you would know him. You would know him. God wants to reveal his heart to you. He wants you to learn of his ways. He wants you to love him above all others. He wants you to find out that he's not mostly about judgment. He is, he is a loving God who brings you close. His loving kindness and faithfulness are higher than the skies. He wants you to find that out. And when someone quizzes you on this, you're not just saying the right answer. You know it to be true because you found out. He wants you to know him like that. Uh, secondly, he wants to form the character of Jesus Christ in you. You can pray that prayer persistently, confidently, waiting for God to, to fulfill that promise to you. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we're in the word and we're asking God, Lord, show Jesus in me where I am angry or, or have deficits and I'm not uh, uh, disciplined, where I leave the path momentarily faithlessly, form the character of Jesus in me, faithfulness and patience and kindness and love. Show that fruit to be real in my life. And you and I, guys, can pray that prayer with absolute conviction. He will answer that prayer for you. Third thing you can pray about, with conviction, make disciples of all nations. Now, I don't know if God wants you to be a school teacher. I don't know if God wants you to be a garbage truck driver. I don't know if God wants you to, uh, you know, take the next job tomorrow. I don't know any of the answers. I don't know if he wants you to live in Sheboygan or Plymouth or if he wants you to live somewhere. I don't know the answer, but here's what I know for sure. He wants you to be making disciples. He wants your gift in play in this church, showing people that Jesus is all sufficient and there's no one like him. He wants you helping and moving and drawing and understanding that your gifts are required here for the glory of his name to make disciples of all nations. And so he's inviting you. You can pray that with complete conviction. Lord, lead me to show and love people your grace. March 2019, party, pink party, campus life. Mary Vorpal turns 50 years old, and we are all celebrating together. She's cancer-free. Oh. Were you there? I mean, that was good. That was a good party. Six months later, the cancer has returned. They're continuing to treat it. We don't know what's going to happen next. And in the hospital, 
Mary brought back into Mike, there's a time of prayer. After an abandoned surgery, hope was not yet gone, but things were looking rough. Mike says to Mary, um, do, do you want me to put on the music? Do you want TV on? Do you, you want to pray? And Mary says, let's pray. If you ever hear Mike talk about this, he's in the room. He'll tell you the greatest gift that you can give your spouse is a certainty that your heart is right with the Lord. And they prayed. Uh, they prayed for mercy. They prayed, walked down the list. We would trust God's timing. They prayed that we would desire God's purposes. And they prayed that we would experience, that they would experience God's love. That's number four. That's what we're learning here. See God's salvation and experience God's love. And in that prayer time, Mike hears Mary pray and leads Mary in this prayer of just knowing that God's love is real and strong. And to this day, holding on to the, the hope and the beauty of that sacred moment. Because when the cave came, they turned to prayer. They turned to the Lord. He was enough and is enough for them. Guys, God will answer prayer. God answered Mike's prayer. He said to me, Friday in my office, I was asking for healing. She's healed. Now, it's not easy. It's not what I wanted. But she's healed. When we learn to pray like this, our prayer journals will be filled with answers to prayer, filled to overflowing. When we ask for God's purposes, when we ask for him to do things that we can be convicted about, when we see the strength and beauty of his hand. Guys, a huge majority of our prayer life should not be about a little bit of health, a little bit of job, a little bit of success for a friend. Those are fine things to pray about, and I'm not going to tell you what percent of your prayer life should be about those things, but a huge majority of our prayer life should be about, Lord, form, teach, teach me. Let me know God through Jesus Christ. Change my character. Let Jesus be formed in me. I will praise you when you form Jesus in me. Let me be about making disciples. It's the main thing you've called me to. Let me see you answer those prayers and let me, even in the hardest situations of life, turn to you for help. Our Wednesday night men's Bible study. This is past Wednesday night. It's our last meeting of the year. And we made a list of things that we prayed about over the year that we saw the hand of God provide for and help us with in our little group. And there's groups like this all over the church. Marriages would strengthen. And we have testimony of that. For a guy that was connected with our group that we know who committed suicide, that his spouse, his, his, uh, his wife, would have help and find grace. And she stopped in the office this week talking about how she's getting help with grief and that she's got a, a direction in her life that she feels God is absolutely showing her. Grief. When the lives of babies hang in the balance and we prayed for Tom and Jerry Olson's grandson, uh, Maverick, 
and we watch God's hand heal that little baby and that he is strong and good. Houses burn down and we pray that God would help us when the houses burn down. And not just in the moment with information about the next house, but in the darkness of the night when our souls are broken and we don't know what God's doing and we don't feel settled. Divorce. Adult children walking with the Lord. Adult children not walking with the Lord. God help us. And that God would give us joy and sanctification and make us more like Jesus. Our prayer journals need to be full of references like that. Not because of the example of the guys on Wednesday night, that they did it right, but because of the example of David. Never once does he say, God, come in here and, and give me the opportunity to kill, to avenge, to seek revenge, to put this. He doesn't say that. He says, save me, save me. And that's what God does. Well, we need to keep moving on here. And so uh, we are learning to pray. And that's the first thing that we learn. When forward motion promised outcomes is threatened by the ongoing, seemingly successful opposition, learn to pray. Number two, persist in praise. This is what David does here. Incidentally, let me just say that before we move on, uh, this morning we were talking about this, and uh, Nikki just, just mentioned that, that she's got a note in her scriptures. This is from Nikki to you this morning, all right? Um, that even though the enemies were armed in the cave or, or uh, surrounding him with, with enemy, uh, with, with armor and with weapons, that he prayed about their words. See that in verse 4? My soul is in the midst of lions. Here's what, what I'm worried about. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows. I'm not worried about the real spears and arrows. I'm worried about the words and the meditations of their heart and how they're turned against you, Lord. And so we persist in praise. Let's move through what that looks like. Verse 6. Uh, they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. And that's where we go to number one, get low. We get low. Our world does not like letting people stay low very long. Don't like it. But you know what? Have you ever been at the top of a mountain? Nikki and I were at the Grand Canyon a month ago, two months ago, whatever. We've been at some high points, and man, when you see the sun set and you have this perspective, it's just majestic, everything that rolls out beneath you. But do you know that sometimes to see the majesty of God, the best perspective, is as low as you can go? Don't jump up from the low place. Don't think that there's nothing there for you. Sometimes in the lowest place, is where you learn the most important things that will define your life about God. Your whole life will be encouraged and graciously preserved. You will see God in a new way from that low point. And you see there, that they set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. And God has a way of doing reversals. When we are low. Verse 7. Here's the definition now in my heart of this praise. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. You see the re repeating again. Steadfast, steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I use the word meditate. 
The concept here is stay in the word. It's when the, the situation doesn't match what you thought it would, go back to the word. Learn his promises. Learn what he's saying to you. And that's what David does. This situation does not match at all with what I thought it was going to be. I'm going back to the promise. God has me on the throne. God, God has anointed me. So, so friends, we are going back to meditate on the word of God. Reviewing his purposes. Trusting in the caves. Trusting him in the caves and on the thrones. This concept of, of steadfast. While my forward motion is stopped, I am steadfast in my understanding of my, my pursuit of the word. When I am cornered in a cave... I am steadfast in my conviction that the Lord is good to me. Upon further review and thinking through and evaluation, I am steadfast in my heart. I am not saying the right words to people who are asking me, trying to, trying to conjure up what truth should look like. I am steadfast in my meditation on the person and power of, of the Lord so that when I tell the story, I can only tell what I really believe. I really believe God's enough. I really believe he's been sufficient. I really believe he will carry me through. I really believe that even if I would die in this place, he is good and faithful to me. And so we meditate on his word. It may take you seven verses to get there. That's how long it took David to get to meditation. And it may take you the rest of the life, the rest of your life, coming back here day and day again. Here's what I got to do. It's hard. I don't know if I can believe it. Another challenge, another cave, another difficulty. We meditate on the word of the Lord. Next, note that the meditation is personal and in my heart. He's not talking to anyone. Note that this whole psalm is an individual lament. It's David thinking to the, and, and going before the Lord. The meditation starts in his heart, and that's where praise starts. Listen, praise should not start when you arrive on Sunday morning and you get drawn into sort of reluctantly singing along. All week long, we should spend time in the Word, meditating on the Word, so that when we arrive Sunday morning, we're all tuned up. We're ready to roll. We believe it. It's true in our hearts, okay? And it's true. So we get very low, we meditate, and third, we sing. Now, it, it's, a forceful, it's a forceful verb here. He sings. In fact, the, uh, the next um, imperative that he uses here, awake, awake. And it's almost like he's saying to myself, what is my problem? Why, how could I have ever fallen out of the normal pattern of praising the Lord? How could I have ever stopped waking up in the morning, breaking out my harp and singing songs to the Lord? What did I do? Wake up, wake up. And so he's, he's preaching, in essence, to his own heart that he would wake up and sing. I will wake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. And here we go. The evangelistic effect. That is, David's suffering is an opportunity to announce God's goodness to an unbelieving world. Don't hide your struggles from an unbelieving world. Struggle. God helps you. God answers prayer. Tell them all about it. Yep, I was broken. Yep, they know you're broken. Everyone knows you're broken. Can I just tell you? Here at this church, people say, well, people talk about me. Listen, we're all broken. 
Every last one of us has foibles and shortcomings and brokenness. Some of us have addictions. Some of us have uh, a pattern we can't see, so we keep doing it in the congregation. We all know it. When people are talking about that kind of a thing, can I just tell you, 99% of the time, I believe, they're not talking about you. They're not talking negative about you. They're not looking down on you. It's kind of funny when I try to hide it when everybody can see it. Let's just be honest with each other. We come before the Lord in our brokenness and we give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples and sing praises to you among the nations. And so the first priority is that we sing. It's a forceful, forceful word. Sing it. Sing it, people. Sing it. Be merciful to me. Guys, when we... We come to the situation, this persisting in praise, and we talked about getting very low. We have three options. We can give in. We give in to the world around us. The world can beat us down, and that lowness can be a beat down where we finally go, I'm not, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm just going to do whatever the world says. I'm just going their way. The second giving is we could give up. It doesn't matter. Don't care. Irrelevant. I'm just going to move on with my life. But this call from David is to give praise. It's to tune your heart to the Lord. Wake up and give praise to God. And let the whole world see how great God is. Listen, your trouble is an opportunity for you to trust the Lord. It's an opportunity for you to come to the end of all of your own strength and go to the Lord and say, I will trust you. It's an opportunity for you to fill your personal prayer journal with answered prayer because when you are at the end of your effort, you are at the end of your money, you are at the end of your skills, that's when God steps in. When we cry out and say, okay, God, save me. Let's close in prayer. Father, come and save us. Come and be good to us. As we are done trying to fix all the problems in our own strength, as we resist the urge to turn again to our own resources to fix the problem, we're coming to you and we are learning with David to pray, to persist in prayer, to not give up on prayer until the Storm of destruction passes by. And we long, Lord, to praise you and give thanks to you and for the nations to hear our God reigns. And while Psalm 54 through 60 is just a chain of the world trying to resist God, at the end of the day, we know we will always see the purposes of God cannot be thwarted. You are good. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.